I had talked to some of the nurses about how I felt. I had talked to the other pediatricians that had rotated through about how I felt. And I had even said something to this pediatrician that, you know, I feel like we need to be doing something different. And she basically, like, looked at me like, oh, that's nice. You think you know medicine. Like, no, I know my daughter. Like, my intuition is telling me that this is wrong. And it's really, really hard when your baby is hooked up to all this garbage in the hospital and the doctors won't listen. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a house and a homestead, thinking this was the life. All that there be. After our firstborn, you had to stay home. That's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started farm hop life. You'll come to your farm to help and to wander. Me and the family, a truck and an RV. Send us a message and there will be. This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt. I'm Katie. This is episode eight. Where's baby? Uh, spoiler alert, the baby is at home sleeping because uh, it's 10 o'clock at night. Uh, but if you want to know how we ended up in the NICU for seven weeks, you should keep listening. Uh, I've had this episode written out. Uh, for like the last two months and we're just now getting around to it so been a little busy been busy 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 uh why don't you start us off we kind of got to go back a little ways before the birth we gotta go back a lot of ways before the birth oh uh (laughs) if you want to know um so katie has like high-risk doctors and stuff and if you want to know more about that i think it's episode five a happy announcement uh, check that out first, but um, where we talk about all the problems, how we got here. So, um, yeah, like Matt said, I had a couple of doctors. Um, I saw my regular OB and I saw a high risk OB, and then we also saw a pediatric cardiologist for a little while, and that's all in the other episode. So we're gonna brush past that. But I think it was probably about what, five or six weeks before we were supposed to have the C-section to deliver the baby. Um, My high-risk OB, who I'd been planning on having the delivery with at the hospital with the higher-level NICU, told me that he was going to be in Europe for three weeks right when I needed to deliver. Um, Part of the issues that I have, I have to have a C-section between 36 and 37 weeks. Um, I can't risk going into labor at home because we live 45 minutes away from the hospital and uh yeah so that came as a bit of a shock that he was going to be gone right when I needed him to be there and you know he seemed like it would be fine and his partner at his clinic would just do my c-section and and it wouldn't be any big deal well I hadn't met said partner yet And, uh, my first interaction with him went horribly to the point that, I mean, I was walking up to the front desk to make my next appointment in tears and I had my two-year-old with me. So that was fun. And my doctor happened to be in the clinic working on notes that day and they came up and got me and brought me back to talk to him and he, he, he kind of understood why I had my apprehensions about this new doctor and so we had to start figuring out a different plan for where I was going to deliver because I no longer felt comfortable with this new partner at the high-risk office and no matter what happened I wasn't going to deliver with him like he was not going to be my surgeon I didn't want him touching me I didn't trust him at all so that's fun Um, when you're already super stressed out and worried about everything 
is all of a sudden like, I don't know where I'm going to have my baby. And I can't have it naturally. So. But that wasn't an easy decision to make either because you were oh, heavily no, leaning sucked. towards, um, <laughs> I got to do it for the baby. I got, you know, I want to do, do it at so, um, the other hospital. Like, at the, the high baby. risk hospital. Yeah. yeah. So my, my comfort zone, my place that I wanted to deliver originally is at the hospital that our son was born at. It's called St. Pat's. And with my OB, who's been my OB since we found out I had cancer six years ago. Like, he's my guy. I know his family. Like, we're good. I trust him. I have no hesitation about going into surgery with him. And then when the baby had, um, what's it called? With the heart. Oh, an arrhythmia. An arrhythmia. When the baby had an arrhythmia... It started to like sink in that I might not be able to deliver there. I might need to go deliver at the hospital with the higher NICU in case the baby needed extra help. And so even though it was out of my comfort zone, I had we had planned to deliver at the other hospital across town. Called Community. Because there's only two in Missoula you can choose from. And we're just lucky enough to have a level three NICU in town. So... I pushed myself out of my comfort zone with my regular doctor and decided we were going to deliver at the better NICU in case the baby needed something. We didn't anticipate that the baby would need anything, but, you know, like, we didn't anticipate that our son would be in the NICU for 10 days. So I had accepted we were going to be at the high-risk hospital and that I was going to have a doctor that I wasn't, like, you know, completely, completely stoked with. But now that I look back at it, like, the high-risk doctor is a pretty good doctor, so I would have been fine. But with him being out of town, I now had to figure out what I was going to do. And so the high-risk doctor talked to my regular doctor, and they kind of put some things together and came up with a plan that as soon as I hit 34 weeks, or 30, yeah, 34 weeks, I was eligible eligible to deliver at the St. Pat's Hospital with my regular doctor where Milo was born, like, in my comfort place <laughs> because the high-risk doctor wasn't even going to be in the country. So that was the plan that we had. That's what we ran with. And we went in to have the baby. And the high-risk doctor actually showed up at my C-section. Jet lagged. His flight landed at midnight from Amsterdam, and he got up at 7 a.m. to come to my C-section so that he could have the experience of being in a C-section with a patient that has had the type of surgeries that I've had, just in case, you know, he ends up with another patient like me in the future. So I think that shows his dedication to his job. He's kind of great. But, yeah. So we... Had a... We had a girl. We had a girl. Lila was born three months ago. Um, we were totally surprised. We had no idea it was going to be a girl. I right think before. my first words after... Because Matt got to announce what it was in the operating room. They like pulled my sheet down so I could see and they pulled her out. And Matt says it's a girl. And I said, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think right before they... Like, pulled that sheet down. Because we had thought it was a boy, like, the whole time. I go, I think that's a girl. And you're like, no. no way. It can't no. be a girl. You're I was so, so sure, sure yeah. that it wasn't a girl that I bought one girl outfit for a going home outfit, just in case. And I put it in the hospital bag with the tag and the receipt. Because I was going to tell Matt to take it back. Because I was so sure that we weren't going to need it. And then... There was a baby. That was a girl. Hmm. So. Baby girl. Yep. And right away, they whisked her off to the NICU, just like with Milo. Yep. She, um, so. I forgot the weight that she weighed in at. She was like seven, seven pounds, 13, 13 ounces. ounces. Yep. Um, yeah, 19 inches long. She, um, she had, she came out with like a bruise, like on her hip that, um, they said it could have happened like the umbilical, bit umbilical cord could have been pinched there 
um, or something. But Wrapped also, around her leg and her hip joint. And then like in the umbilical cord, when I went to go cut it, um, there was only two tubes instead of the three. Which we knew about. Which we did know about. Yeah. We knew about that from ultrasounds and stuff. Um, and because of that bruising, that's when we decided to give her the vitamin K shot. We weren't going to, yep. but because of the bruising, um, we decided to give it. It's like one of those things that it's like a, a decision that you've thought about for months and months, and then you have to make a split-second decision on if this is something that's going to help or harm your baby. And right. it's like, you know, I was still on the operating table, <laughs> like completely numb from the chest down and they're like you need to make a decision what are we gonna do and i'm like you left it to me yep like i was like do whatever you want to yep. do <laughs> like i'm not i am clearly in no state to make a decision right now so um yeah they generally just give all babies vitamin k to prevent bruising when like 95 percent of them uh yeah sorry um bleeding um when like 95 percent of them like never need it so but it the was bruising like, was significant. It was. So, it was pretty dark. Yeah. Um, so she went to the NICU right away. She needed CPAP and glucose, like, immediately. Like, her her CPAP came off after, like, a few hours. The glucose stopped after, like, two to three days. Um, it was hard to bottle feed and breastfeed initially. I mean... She just, because she was getting basically sugar water yeah. through, she was already she on She was on an N- IV. Oh, okay. I was thinking an NG tube. Sugar water. Well, she had an NG tube, but the sugar water was through her IV, basically. Okay. So. Kept poking her foot like every four hours. She kept blowing out of IVs every 20 hours. Yep. So they kept putting in new IVs. And then, then they, uh, they put the NG tube in. And, no, I guess the NG tube didn't go in for a couple days. But they put the NG tube in on, like, day three or four. And she had her first feeding through it. And she threw up and there was specks of blood in it. That's right. And so then everybody lost their minds about it was like, why there's blood in her milk. And it was, like, little dark red... Like dried blood. Like dried blood in like her her throw up, and it was really weird. Um, yeah. So then, they stopped the feedings again, and they put her back on the sugar water, and it just it was like nine or ten days of her just dropping weight like crazy because they weren't letting her eat, and they were doing tests and checking this and that and finally decided that it was probably just the NG tube as it went in scraped something and there was a little bit of blood and it was fine. Um, so then at this point I had been discharged from the hospital obviously and Matt was back at work and we have a two year old. Thankfully my mom is here. Um, she ended up staying way longer than she planned. Um, but she was at home with our two-year-old and I was at the hospital and I slept in a reclining chair in the NICU at St. Pat's because they don't, it's not like a, it's not a big NICU. They have three areas for babies and it is what it is. Like hotels in Missoula are ridiculous and there's nowhere for me to stay and it's a neighborhood that you don't sleep in your car. So I was in a reclining chair in the NICU, which the nurses in there are amazing. And a lot of the nurses were actually nurses that we had with Milo. Mm-hmm. Um, so like some people actually remembered us and it it was nice to be there with people that we kind of knew. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they had us trying bottle feeding I had tried some breastfeeding and Lilo just really wasn't going for it. Like, she wasn't getting the hang of it very fast. Um, And so we were doing bottle feedings and then supplementing with NG feedings because she was only doing like 10, 15, 20 mils at a time, which isn't even an ounce. 
And if they weren't doing NG feeds, she was just dropping weight. So we, we waited two weeks until a speech therapist from the bigger hospital came over. And she evaluated Lila and said, hey, you know, I think maybe she's going to need a swallow study um, so we can see, like, how milk is actually going down her throat. And the whole time, the other hospital, the doctors had just kept saying, like, you just need to give her time. Like, she's early. She just needs time to grow. She'll get more energy and start eating better. And turns out they were wrong. Um... Waiting was pretty poor choice. So, um, St. Pat's, like, from just two years ago, they had, what, two, three neonatologists? Yeah, that rotated through. They um, weren't employees, but they rotated through. And, uh, surprise to us, this time around, they had zero. They have pediatricians in the NICU. Which is not the same at all. Um, and so, they... they one of them in particular felt like she could like fix it like fix lila you know like we can we can get her to where she needs to be it was more like it 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 had to have been like a pride thing more than what's best for the baby uh because it was a no no person in the right mind would make the decisions that she did right and like I had talked to some of the nurses about how I felt. I had talked to the other pediatricians that had rotated through about how I felt. And I had even said something to this pediatrician that, you know, I feel like we need to be doing something different. And she basically, like, looked at me like, oh, that's nice. You think you know medicine. Like, no, I know my daughter. Like, my intuition is telling me that this is wrong. And it's really, really hard when your baby is hooked up to all this garbage in the hospital and the doctors won't listen. And uh, thankfully we kept talking to that speech therapist from the bigger hospital and three weeks, no, 20 days after Lila was born, she got transferred to the bigger hospital. So that was a surprise in and of itself because they said, (laughs) let's... Let's do the swallow test. And we're like, all right, cool. Let's do the swallow test. And like, all right, pack your stuff. Go. And we're like, what? And like, oh, yeah. If you're going over there to do the swallow test, you're not coming back. Oh. Oh. Um, but at that point, we're like, all right, yes, whatever. Screw this place. Because, like. Yeah, we were frustrated. We were frustrated with him. Like, well, I guess this because we had actually talked the night before. Yep. How do we switch hospitals? Yeah, like, um, how do we tell them we want to move? And so it just kind of got easier from there. But it was still, uh, it was it was really weird. Um, what was really weird was they sent a transport team to come pick Lila up and drive her three miles across town in this spaceship thing for NICU babies. It was weird. Uh, I was not was, there for it. But there was two NICU was nurses and, and two EN, EN, EMTs and they threw her in an ambulance and hooked her up to all this stuff and uh yeah so we drove over to the bigger hospital at like nine in the morning and got, I got there, there in the afternoon yep matt got there later in the afternoon but like we got there got lila put in her room i got all my stuff situated and right away a social worker came in to talk to me and she's like what are you doing? Like, how are things? And when she heard that I had been sleeping in a chair at the other hospital, she's like, all For right. two So weeks. I'm going to call the Ronald McDonald House, which is across the parking lot. She's like, normally they don't, they don't process applications after like two in the afternoon or something, but I'll call over there because it was already like 1.30. She's like, I'll call over there. We'll see if we can get you sorted. And, and she's like, is there anything else you need help with? And I'm like, yeah, I haven't figured out Lila's health insurance yet. Like, it just has been a cluster. And, um, like, waiting to hear back from the state about if she qualifies for state health insurance. And, you know, the kind of headaches you need when your baby's in the NICU and you're not sleeping. So, 
she sent somebody else in to help me figure out the health insurance. The doctor came in and right away the doctor was like, we need to do these tests. We need to schedule them for tomorrow. We're going to immediately stop all, all like oral feedings, just do NG tube feedings and like whole new game plan within two hours of getting there. Well, the tests were a surprise also because they're like, we can maybe get it in on Thursday. Yeah. It was like a Monday yep. that she moved. Yep. And they're like, we're thinking earliest Thursday. I'm like, okay, Thursday. And then we get a, I'm at work and Katie calls me at like 8, 8.30 in the morning, something like that. And I'm like, yep. hey, uh, they're doing all the, like, at least the big one. They're doing the swallow test today. And I'm, I go, uh, oh, okay. And so I called my parents. Uh, I called my boss. And I, I, I gotta go. <laughs> yep. So, and... yeah. So for those of you who don't know what the swallow study is, which I'm assuming is everybody because I didn't know what it was, um, they have the speech therapist give the baby a bottle while they're laying on an x-ray table. And they the have like live video. A barium? Yep. Barium in it, which is like it shows up. So like you can visually see it was I I wore like a lead apron and stuff in there. Um, I stood behind the counter because I was pumping. It was really fun. It was blowing my mind. Um, I think we actually have a video of it. Yeah, we do. We should put it up on Instagram. Yeah, Um, I got to watch the whole thing. It was like blowing my mind that they can do this. Uh, I was like, I was more focused on that than like everything else that was happening. Like with my daughter, I guess it was like a good distraction. This is neat. It was neat. <laughs> you kidding? That's cool tech. But um, first first sip of the bottle, she failed like right away, and so they tried like a thicker milk, and she failed that too. And you could actually see on the X-ray that there was milk going down her esophagus. So she was basically aspirating milk into her lungs, which is you know not recommended. And it can lead do, to uh, lung infection, pneumonia, pneumonia. Yep. things like that. So if you do that too much, it can be it can be pretty bad. Although I did learn from the NICU doctors that, that something super weird happens. If the baby is just having breast milk, it's like if you swallow water or get water in your lungs, your lungs can absorb and filter out the water. Your lungs can do the same thing with breast milk. So as long as it's not too much, the baby can absorb that and filter it through their lungs. Hmm. And it won't cause pneumonia. But if there's any sort of formula or anything added to the milk, that's when you have real big problems with pneumonia. Because she was getting fortified bottles. Of course she was, because doctors. And the weight, like they were just (laughs) freaking out about the weight gain, which... She I mean, was she, eating like crap. But so. she did lose like 17% of her body weight. And once they get above 10%, they start to freak out. So it yep. was a lot. She lost a lot of weight. Yep, she lost a lot of weight. But, you know, you don't let a kid eat. Don't lose weight. Yep. Anyways. So she failed the swallow study. And then they also did an ultrasound of her abdomen. And that was all clear. And then they did, I think it was actually the next day. Wednesday, they did an echo of her heart, mm-hmm. and that shows PDA with PFO, which is super, super common in infants, especially when they're born early. There's like this little hole um, when the baby is in utero that stops fluid or it bypasses, like bypasses the lungs, the heart or something, like something about fluid going into the lungs. When the baby is in utero, the hole is open so fluid can go in there. And when the baby's born, the hole closes so the fluid doesn't go into your lungs. And um, the holes aren't completely shut. And that's totally normal, but we still have to have a follow-up with the pediatric cardiologist to make sure that it does shut. Um, And the only reason that we know that it's even a problem is because she had to have an echo. So... Yeah, so more doctors later in the year. Mm-hmm. Woo! So, and then, what was the last test they did? 
they did an ENT scope. So they put like a little camera down her throat. Um, they didn't have to intubate her for that. Nope. They just like, you <laughs> like you, showed up at like nine. I was going to say, don't you remember? I wasn't there, but um, was you there. told me about it. You, like you like popped in like super late in the evening. I had come home for dinner because we hadn't heard from the ENT's office. Didn't know when he was going to come by. And so I had come home for dinner because I was trying to come home like every other day for a little while. And then once we moved to the bigger hospital, it was, I was never coming home because I was sleeping at the Ronald McDonald house. So I came home for dinner and, um, I went back to the hospital and I went to sit with Lila to like, you know, couldn't hold my eyes open anymore. And at like nine o'clock at night, he just waltzes into the room in his scrubs. Like he was there for another surgery or something. And he has his little briefcase with his scope. And he's like, you, uh, you want to do this now? I'm like, yes, please, let's do this now. And so the nurse came in, and I held Lila, and the nurse held her head to kind of stabilize her. And um, he did the scope right there, and she You said cried. it was like the width of like a pencil or so? Like yeah. it wasn't very big? Yeah. Yep. But, I mean, it was, you know, still uncomfortable. Well, yeah, but... But she cried for like... 30 seconds and he took the scope out and she immediately was like "Ah," like fell right back asleep (laughs) so didn't bother her too bad the um so what he found was uh, a misshapen epiglottis and tracheomalacia so the misshapen epiglottis it should be relatively flat it's the little thing that covers your airway when you eat so you're not getting fluid or like solids like in your lungs and so hers is dished and so it can't close like close all the way to block your airway um and we were told like that that would still be the case even if she was full term she would still have a misshapen epiglottis yep and then the tracheomalacia was um what was that the strider. It the was strider, make, yes. It was making her squeak. And there's like something up against like her vocal cords. There was that, tissue like... that was falling down onto her vocal cords. And so when she would breathe, she would make this little squeaky sound. We probably have like a hundred videos of it. Probably, yeah. But um turns out Matt and his brother made that squeaky sound when they were little too. For a long time. We never got so. it fixed. <laughs> so maybe it's a family trait. Maybe. Maybe. Um, Everybody's just gonna have squeaky babies. Yeah, my little brother. Um, he had a bad. he had a well, not just the tracheomalacia, but like my mom thinks that like we were talking about the symptoms with Lila, and he had like basically the same thing for like the first two years of his life, and like never got it fixed. Which is crazy. It is crazy, but um, so the ENT said. That he wanted to give it a couple of weeks to see, just see, if by chance not having oral feeds and being on a... Oh, that's the other thing. She got put on basically baby Prilosec for acid. So not having acid coming up into her... Things that would irritate it. Yeah. And she was sleeping on this giant wedge pillow. It looks so stupid. They they literally put her in a cage. So like when you're on the wedge, like obviously... (laughs) You can slide down. You can roll off to the side and whatever. She was like in a straight jacket. It literally looked like a straight jacket. It had Velcro on it plus a little D-ring strap that you hook her up to. And it was was so weird. It was super weird. Yeah, the first night I walked in and she was in that cage thing was kind of startling. Oh, yeah. Because I didn't know that they were doing that. The F is this. (laughs) Yep. So, like, that's... She went from being in like a bassinet thing in like looking like relatively normal to being on this big giant thing with all these cords and head. Yep. That was the minute that I was like, all right, we're in the NICU. Like fully in the NICU. Fully in the NICU. Yep. So, but yeah, so we waited two weeks, just kind of bided our time. She wasn't allowed to try to eat. All of her food came through an NG tube. And so I would sit with her while she ate so that she got the sensation of, like, being with me, me holding her. Matt would come up and hold her, um, you know, when he had time. (laughs) 
on top of a two-year-old and a house and a job. Um, and the, you know, 45-minute drive each way. Yep. So, but I, my schedule was, you know, I'd get up at like six in the morning. I'd pump and I'd walk over to the hospital and I'd sit there until dinner time. And the Ronald McDonald House provides free dinner. So I'd walk back over there, have some free dinner. And then I'd walk back to the hospital and sit there until I couldn't hold her anymore. Until, you know, my eyes were shutting because they kind of frown on you sleeping in the NICU while you're holding a baby. So I had to put her down. (laughs) But I was there like 14, 15 hours a day just hanging out with her, making sure she was okay and doing all the normal mom things like diapers and baths and trying to get all of that time with my newborn that I could. Um, And after two weeks, they called the ENT. He came back, did another scope. Actually, different doctor came back, but same same ENT place. Um, The surgeon who would be doing surgery if she needed surgery was the one who came back to scope her. And he said, yep, nothing's changed. And so we need to do a supraglottoplasty <laughs> and I can spell it because uh, I had to say it 8 million times so the dished epiglottis he described it like there's like bands think of it like a rubber band or multiple rubber bands going across the epiglottis you'd go in with a laser and basically cut those bands to get it to let's see like relaxed so it opens up and like is flat um and sometimes it works like immediately and other times it takes five six days for it to like relax and, and sometimes it doesn't work at all that's rare yeah but, it's like it got like but they made sure to tell me 70 to 100 percent success rate yes. something like that but they made sure to tell me sometimes yep. it doesn't and work. it was super fast it was like a 45 minute um surgery so, so they went in and they did those bands and then they also trimmed up some of the tissue that was falling down onto her um, vocal cords. So when she came out, she didn't have her squeak anymore. We didn't have a squeaky baby. It was it was weird. <laughs> she like You had to like came... check if she was breathing. Yeah. Because we had been so used to her squeaking. And now she's, she's not like squeaking five and you're weeks like, old Are you okay? At that point. Yep. She's um, five weeks old. So that yeah. was, um, watching her being wheeled out to go to surgery was, that was something else. Your five week old baby. So, and, and like, like <laughs> can you tell it wasn't even wasn't even like major <laughs> surgery. Like people have, you know, their babies yeah. have like open heart surgery. That's what I was just going to say. Like two the same weeks thing. old like or whatever. So like we'd be. We'd be like a puddle on the floor if it was more serious, but thankfully it wasn't. Yep. So she came out of surgery. She didn't have a squeak. And that evening they were like, go ahead and try and feed her. Like, let's see if she wants to eat. And she still wasn't super interested in it. She was very tired. The next day you could tell like her throat hurt really bad. She was crying a lot. So we had some pain meds on board and just kind of let her rest held her a ton just didn't put her down made sure she was comfortable and then she slowly started to try to eat a little bit here and there but the problem and even the nurses will admit in the NICU the problem is is that they're on our schedule so the baby's going to eat every three hours and they're going to come in and they're going to do their checks and they're going to do her blood pressure and all this stuff, well, a baby that's just learning to eat isn't going to eat every three hours. They're going to eat as often as they flip and want to. And so I finally had a nurse who was amazing. She was our nurse for two days. And she said, we're going to go off book. We're going to do whatever Lila wants to do. And you just press that button and tell me if you're going to feed her. And so I got to finally do like the normal thing and follow her cues and if she woke up early wanted to eat early she ate and if she wanted to sleep 
three and a half hours instead of three hours, then she slept. And um, she finally started going a little bit more, and they let us take out the NG tube. And so that was a week after surgery, right? Yep. They let us take out the NG tube, and then it was like a, okay, now she's having all of her food on her own, either breastfeeding or bottle feeding, and she needs to prove that she can gain weight that way. That was the big hurdle to get over. Was Which is the case with weight. a lot of babies in the NICU. Like, you have to prove that you can gain weight on your own if you go home. They like so. to see, like, 20 grams or whatever. Because they still measure, like, in, in the yeah. NICU, they measure in grams. It's not pounds and ounces. Yep. Um, and they like to see 20. Yep. But we got to the point where the doctors were like, literally anything. <laughs> Like, if, if she gains four, like, I clarified with the doctors, because I was sleeping in the NICU at this point so that I could be breastfeeding her around the clock. And they're like, literally anything. Like, if she gains four grams, she can go home the next morning. So I would feed her and feed her and feed her, and the nurse would come in and we'd weigh her at night, and she'd lose weight. And not a ton of weight. Like, a normal scale wouldn't even pick it up. Like five or ten grams. Yep. But she was still technically losing weight, and so we couldn't leave. And I was getting super frustrated. And, like, there was actually also inconsistencies, like, in the weighing. Like, some would do it, like... Oh, yeah. Some would do it at, like, ten o'clock at night, and some would do it at four in the morning. Yeah, so... So... But it's, like... I don't know. It was... I started to get super frustrated and super upset. And... Literally our last night in the hospital, they weighed her. The nurse that I had said, she's like, we're going to weigh her before her technically last feed of the night. And if she lost weight, we're not going to count it. And we're going to weigh her at the next one and see if she gained weight from her 24 hours of feeding. I was like, okay. And so we went and got the scale and put her on the scale and the scale didn't work. Like, it literally said she weighed three grams. Like, okay. Go get the other scale. Went and got the other scale. Plugged it in. Wouldn't work. Just kept saying zero. And so, like, I'm getting mad. <laughs> and I went and walked down to the bathroom. Came back and they had another scale that didn't plug into the wall. They ran on batteries. It's like their emergency scale or whatever if the power's out. And they put her on that scale and it said that she lost 20 grams. And I was livid. Like, it was one in the morning or something. And I was just so mad. Like, I felt like she was eating really well. She was doing really good. Like, I just wanted to go home. I hadn't seen my two-year-old consistently in seven weeks. Like, I was done. I was ready to be done. And there was... A gal who worked at the front desk overnights that was in there helping with all the cluster <laughs> the scales. Sorry, swearing. Um, <laughs> it we made me go. mad. You can beat me. It's fine. I was trying to figure that out. Whatever. Okay. Um, she, the gal who worked at the front desk was helping with all the scales. And after everything was done and we'd gotten Lila back to bed, I was still awake And she came into the room and was like, hey, I was just checking on you. And she sat in the room and talked to me until like four in the morning and really put some things into perspective for me because she had a daughter in the NICU for 115 days and her daughter never left. And here I was freaking out about losing 20 grams. And she wasn't trying to, like, say, like, you know, your situation is so much better than mine. Like, she had a very good outlook on how everything happened. She felt like they did everything they possibly could for her daughter. And she was just more, like, coming in to connect on, like, how tough the NICU is. And I could not... If I was her, I could not work in that building. I don't know how she does it every day. But, um, yeah, so we had a really long talk. 
And I slept for half an hour, and the nurse came in and said, it's time to weigh Lila. And Lila gained weight. <laughs> and we got to go home. Literally the next day at like 3 in the afternoon, we got to go home. No. That's, um... Why am I crying? <laughs> because it was seven weeks of our lives wrapped up in... Hospitals. It was such a blur, like... It feels like it was last year for me already. Like, it yeah, feels it like of, so long ago, and it's only been five weeks. No, it's been more than that. We've been home like for just weeks. as long as we've been in, so... It's... Yeah. So... It's still, it still feels like a long time ago, but at the same time, it was not that long ago whatsoever. No. There's, there was other, but like a bunch of other stuff. Like, Milo could not be in the NICU with us. It was just... Nobody could. Just Katie and I. So, it would be like, one of us would have to be in to hold Lila. We'd bring him to like this glass door <laughs> that he would be on the exterior of with the other parent and like... You know, and that's how he met hi. his sister. That's how he met her, and for the like the first time he met her, he was just like, "What's that? <laughs> uh, can we go play at the park?" <laughs> and so, and we, we next, tried. And it was to be fair. We went on a hike. Rocks yeah, and like it was it was hot already. You know, he had gone on a hike and he like didn't sleep. Okay, so, that like, was like the one. One good point of being in the hospital all summer. This summer in Montana was horrendous, heat-wise. And I was chilling in my air conditioning all day, well, Yeah, because day. the air conditioning unit for the hospital was literally right on... Like, it was just a nice little hum. On the roof like a above Lila's hum. room the whole time. It was nice. But it was um, chilly. It was chilly. It was, it was chilly perfect. In there. But, so, it got better as, like... As we kept introducing like Milo to Lila, like let's go see Lila, let's go see Lila, and yeah. eventually like he wanted to like go do it himself, like let's go, yeah, let's go, go see, see Lila, go see baby sister, yeah, so, baby sister. But Matt and Milo would come up and stay with me at the Ronald McDonald House Friday night and Saturday night, um, and my mom came up with Milo a few times and stayed. So that was really nice to be able to see everybody still and have a little bit of a normal, I don't know, it still wasn't normal. But it was like some semblance of normal after so long in the NICU. Um, but yeah, it was, it was crazy. We bought a, <laughs> we bought another like crib for Milo oh, yeah, to Facebook. set up uh, in the Ronald McDonald house so he could stay overnight. And we won't have to tear down and re-put back together his, his bed. You could just, like, stay overnight. And we, we called it the hotel. We weren't yeah. staying at the Ronald McDonald house. We were yeah. staying at a hotel. And this hotel had, like, a little, like, playroom, which is cool, and a big kitchen. Yep. Um, and a backyard and a playset. And yeah. It was right next door to this huge park. And yeah. So... Because it was too hard to explain to him, like, this is a Ronald McDonald house. Like, th when he gets older, we'll explain it to him. But, like, he was going to go stay at the hotel with Mom. And that's all he knew. Or, like, I'd load him up in Katie's car or whatever vehicle we were using. Like, all right, we're going to go see Mama at the hotel and try yep. to visit baby sister and stuff. So Yep. So... The, there was like, a, it was a couple days before we left. I remember I was like holding Lila and sitting on the couch and like, it had been six, six and a half weeks probably at that point. And I just like, had a moment. I just started crying on the couch. I'm like, this is, the house is not a home without you in it. Like, it just feels this like a place where I'm at. And like, I just want, want you home. I want my daughter home. And, like, so, when we were leaving, like, I had, I had been running up and down the hallway, essentially, like, yeah. getting all our stuff out of there. And then that last trip, like, you you were holding the car seat. So, yeah. had, we had Lila in the car seat, and I had, like, just a couple of things in my hands. And, like, 
all the nurses are like lining the hallway and like clapping, clapping. and it's yep. like oh man i'm gonna start crying again like thinking about it being able to go home yep like it was just like it was unreal um i remember specifically saying to one of our favorite nurses at the first hospital like like probably a week or two into this whole thing i remember saying to her like I don't know how parents do this for weeks on end. Mm -hmm. Like, like I remember saying, I don't know how parents do this for six weeks. And then here we were on our seventh week. Yup. Like, I didn't didn't know how we were going to do it. And, I mean, honestly, if my mom wouldn't have been here, I don't know how we would have done it. It would have been impossible with a two-year-old. Right. And I don't know how people do that. Like, how do you choose between... Spending time with your two-year-old and spending time with your newborn daughter who's in the hospital. Well, that's... Like, it's um, impossible. So, thankfully, my mom stayed the whole time. There are some babies there that their parents just, like, are only able to visit them on the weekends. Or, like, maybe once a week, once a month. Some of them, like, their parents are several hours away. Yep. Um, But, yeah... (laughs) And then when we we left, we got out of the hospital, we like got through the doors, and so it was like the first time Milo would be able to like see and like touch. Um, yeah, not be sister. on the other side of glass. He, so we put the we put the car seat on the ground, and I got my phone out. I put, we put the car seat on the ground, and he like kind of like cautiously goes up to her and looks. And he goes, she needs a nook. And then, like, goes and goes to the diaper bag. and No, he gets... was trying to walk into the hospital. Was he? Yeah. Like, and I was like, oh, Danny has a nook for her. I, I lost it. I was like, it's so sweet. That's so cute. He bent over, gave her a kiss, tried to give her her pacifier. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, he's been really, really good with her. Way better than I thought it was going to go. Like, he gives her kisses and he checks on her and... We've had a few incidents of jealousy, but, you know, he's two. Yep. Um, but for the most part, he's been really, really good with her. So. And she's um, still gaining weight. She's like 10 and a half pounds she's now or something like that. slowly. Slowly. She's gaining yeah, she's, she's tiny. Yeah. little, but that's fine. Um, she's just starting to, like, be really, like, animated with, like, her, mm-hmm. her hands and her feet. Um, smiling a lot, laughing a, like more. Yep. Um, grabbing things. Grabbing everything. Yep. Takes the glasses off my face. I was just gonna say, snatched your glasses. My beard. Yep. So. But, but damn, she's cute. Yeah. If anybody ever ends up with a, a baby in the NICU for a while, we can chat. Right. Sucks. Blows. And nobody <sighs> understands what it's like until they're there. So. There was um, one of the uh, ladies at the Ronald McDonald house. Um, it was like the last time I was there. The, her and her family made grilled cheese yeah. for us. Yeah. Uh, well, not just us, but like obviously everyone at the Ronald McDonald house. They had yeah. gone to the Ronald McDonald house. They were there for like six or nine months. Like and nine, like nine, in, nine or ten months in Seattle, so they were like they had done both. Tw- They'd been in Missoula and then in Seattle and then or something back like to Missoula. Yeah, so. and so they, it was like she was still like working stuff like through like her system basically because you know yep. we talk about be, what it's like being in the NICU and she still had a lot to like. Yep, I don't think it's something you process. ever forget. No. So. And one thing that we talked about was like, we would like to give back in that when we go travel, like, we'd like to also, like, make meals for um for people in we Ronald McDonald houses. Do the other cheese thing because that was like your favorite meal. That was of the whole time. It I was told... like grilled cheese, really good tomato soup. And so salad. I told the guy, I was like. Dude, nice work on the tomato soup. Like that's that's awesome. And he's like, "Thanks, but um, it came from a can." I'm like, "You could have lied. Like it was, <laughs> yeah. it was really good. It was yeah. really good tomato soup." But I'm not a tomato soup guy. But like, to just have that, like, it felt like a home cooked meal. Yeah. 
Instead they made of, a lot of grilled cheese sandwiches. <laughs> but like instead of most nights at, at the Ronald McDonald house, it'd be like somebody bought Jimmy Do- John's. Domino's. Somebody, yeah, somebody bought Domino's. KFC. And it's so, just like, like, this is not. I mean, like, I, appreciate I appreciate that they provide dinner because I wasn't about to figure out how to make dinner. But, um, yeah. That's Being really able not. To sit down that's and not really my cheese, diet is, yeah. uh. Is uh, Domino's. I mean, you and... don't eat grilled cheese all that much either. But right, but um, like the kids liked it. Milo ate some. Yeah, so. you tolerate it. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, if you guys have any questions or comments or I don't know, I feel like we covered a lot of stuff in fifty some minutes. We rambled. Oh. Did we ramble? I feel like we rambled. That's all right. We're processing. Uh, processing. Yep. That's what it's This called. is the uh, debriefing or something. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Was there something else that you, did we cover it all? I think we did, I yeah. I think so. That's all of, our, all of our garbage. All of our garbage. It's all of our garbage. <laughs> um, so, thanks for watching, everyone. Uh, please leave a comment, like, subscribe. Most importantly, share this video. Uh, you can check us out on Fountain FM uh, podcast player. You'll love it. You get paid in... Satoshi's on the Lightning Network. It's like little bitcoins. Uh, little bitcoins. Little bitcoins. For little baby babies. Yep. And you can <laughs> you can uh, support your you're ruining it. <laughs> Kidding. Anyways, thanks for watching. There's so much more. Bye. Read all, read all that. No. We're on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, MeWe, and Float. You can email me anytime, Matt, at farmhoplife.com. Check out our 20 by 23 project where we're going to help out 20 homesteads in the year 2023. We're going to do... That's going to be our next episode. Okay. 20 by 23 project. I mean, We've there was like a four it. or five month gap between this episode and our last I one. I know. So, we got to talk about that sooner than five months from now. I know. we got a lot to catch up on. Uh... So yeah, you can check that out, farmhoplife.com slash 20x23. I'm always looking for new people to interview if you want to come on to talk about homesteading, farming, food security, homeschooling, regenerative agriculture, alternative building methods. Hit me up, farmhoplife.com slash guest. Go feed yourself. Bye. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. Headed west for Montana Left family and friends All I got now is you We both got new jobs A host and a homestead Thinking this was the life All that there'd be After our firstborn You had to stay home That's when the work got in the way for me Well, I started Farm Hop Life We'll come to your farm to help and to wander Me and the family, a truck and an RV Send us a message and there will